Welcome to another edition of the Proclaim Cuba podcast, On Mission. This show invites people to share stories of how they see Cuba. That's our theme for 2023. We want to share the many complex, unique, and fascinating sides of Cuba through the eyes of those that have been there and those that live there. As our guests share their role in supporting the four pillars of ministry, evangelism, discipleship, training, and community support, we hope you will reflect on God's hand at work in the past, see His provision in the present, and visualize His transforming plan for the future. Hello, I'm your host, Andrew Wishmeyer, one of the team members here at Proclaim Cuba. Our guest today is Kim Pino. Kim is, among many other important roles, the Chief Operating Officer at Ezer Digital. That's a digital marketing consulting company based here in Dallas. And Kim is a very special person to us at Proclaim Cuba. She is married to one of our board members, Alfie Pino. So she, like Alfie, has had a heart for Cuba for many, many years. She has given selflessly to this ministry, using her gifts and talents over the years to communicate what God is doing through us in Cuba. We really couldn't do it without her. It's a real joy to welcome you to the program today, Kim. Thank you for being here with us. Oh, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for that gracious introduction. Absolutely. You are well-deserving of it. So um, as we usually start off with, we'll have you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and uh, your church family. Well, my name is Kim Pino, as you said, and uh, I'm married to Alfie, and we have four um, adult children, Cameron, Caroline, and twins, Clark and Claire. I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Hearst and uh, met Alfie almost 27, well, actually 30 years ago, but we've been married for almost 27 years this month. So really, we've kind of been on a church odyssey, I would say, for about the last few years. So still trying to right now kind of find a church home. We moved in the Dallas area, so we're in a new part of town. And so we'd really like to find a new church and plug in here uh, in our community. Great. Well, just like we normally ask people too, what was your first interest in Cuba? What moved you to be involved in Cuba? I, I think it's fair to say it's probably Alfie because he does have okay. Cuban heritage, but we'll let you talk about that. Exactly. Yes. Um, Alfie was, um, he is of Cuban heritage. His parents were from Cuba. And so he was, as we say, conceived in Cuba, actually born in the United States. But it's through his connection to Cuba that, of course, um, I was brought in. And so my actual first exposure to Cuba had nothing to do with missions um, at all. In 1999, I made my first trip to Cuba. Alfie had been back to Cuba with his father. They're both physicians. And so they had attended um, some medical conferences there. And through that experience, they um, made some friendships. And so in 1999, he took me. He wanted to just kind of show me where his family had come from. And so that trip was very formative in my early experience with Cuba and my ideas about Cuba. I was so offended by the oppression that I saw to the Cuban people that I actually swore I'd never go back when mm. we left. That's important in my testimony. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was a I... different place. Cuba was a different place in 1999 than it is now. Oh, absolutely. And so that, that was toward the end of what you know they called the special period where there was just a lot of restrictions. At that point in Havana, there were armed military guards with machine guns on every corner. Um, and the Cuban people, while still oppressed and very limited in their activity 
in Cuba couldn't even go into the tourist hotels. They weren't, they weren't allowed past the lobby. And in my American sensibility, that infringement on liberty, I just thought, I told Daffy, I said, I'm, you can go back if you want to. I'm not you know, at all going to limit you, especially when he then became involved in missions there and then met Carlos and became very involved. I never, I, I never said he couldn't go or stand in his way. I just said, you know what? I just don't want to be in that environment anymore. So. Interesting. Yes. Uh, and so that first time that you went, obviously, even before you went, obviously we know what happened when you went, but what, how did you, how were you thinking about that? I mean, obviously Alfie had told you about Cuba. Um, did you, did you feel prepared? Did you not know what to expect? What, what was going through your mind when you first decided to go? That first trip, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I was very nervous. I mean, it was a communist country. In fact, during that time period, Americans could not go unless you had some reason and it couldn't even be religious. It really, it had to be, uh, well, I guess it could have been humanitarian aid, that kind of stuff, but we didn't, we didn't have a U.S. visa to go. So we actually went the way most Americans went during that time, which is we flew to Mexico, got a Mexican visa, mm. and then <laughs> went in from Mexico so um, I was extreme. I, I had never really traveled internationally. I, I've been a few times, but never anything like that. So my whole experience in Cuba was just a, a completely new experience. I had a lot of hesitation. I had a lot of, um, of fear. And mm. what I encountered there at that time did not help. Mm. But going back again, um, almost, almost 20 years later, when I went back the second time, it was a completely different experience for me, but God wow. had worked on me, um, and worked in my heart a lot, um, in, in that time period. Yeah. There's, there's, a, a growth period. Uh, I mean, I know when I went for the first time and I've shared on the program before, when I went for the, per I didn't know what God was going to do with me. And, uh, so those first experiences can be, can be very, nerve wracking, right? When you're, when you're getting yeah. prepared, you're like, well, what are you going to do with me? And so what I think is great is, is your testimony about what happened next. So, uh, you, you said you didn't want to go back, but you grew during that time and then you did go back. So let's talk about that. So let's talk about your second time that you've been, we know we've been many times since then, and we can talk about those things too, but in light of our uh, theme for the year, which is see Cuba and see it for all it is, its past, its present, its future. Um, let's talk about that time when you went back and what you see uh, in Cuba as you go this next time. Yeah, well, it, in that time period between 1999 and 2000, I think it was 14, when I went back for the second time, um, God really began to work in my heart. Um, but he took me literally to Siberia in order to do that final work. In 2010, our oldest son, Cameron, was in sixth grade at that point. And he was invited through his uh, drama teacher at school to go on a mission trip in the summer. And so he came home really excited. Mom, dad, I want to go on this trip. But in order for me to go, since he was only 12 years old, he had to have a parent go with him. And Alfie loves to travel, had been on multiple mission trips. That's like his thing. And so I very 
naturally maybe, but really very pridefully said, well, Cameron, that's great. And I'm sure your dad will be happy to take you. So we looked at the calendar. We looked at the dates. And Alfie said to me, if, if he goes, there's no way I can take him. You're going to have to go with him. And there <laughs> started my struggle with the Lord. Because I couldn't tell my son, who was so excited about going, on a mission trip to help other people, right? That he couldn't go because mom was afraid. I mean, what, what kind of example was that going to be for him? So I said, yes. But then we had about nine months from the time that we said yes until we left. And I was a mess. I struggled. I literally kept praying that the Lord would cancel this trip, that something would happen, that we just would not be able to go. I had that much fear. Even so, to the point where we were at DFW saying goodbye, I was a mess. I was sobbing. And we had to meet the rest of our team that was going on this trip in, uh, in New York, JFK. And I cried. I mean, not just like little tears and wiping. I mean, I sobbed from the time we got on that airplane until about halfway through that flight to JFK, to the point where Cameron even was patting my patting my leg saying, it's okay, mom, we're going to be fine. And I remember I, I put in my earphones and, and took my phone and I just, I just started listening and I, and, and I can't even remember what song it was, but it was a Chris Tomlin song. And all of a sudden I just had that peace that is beyond understanding that is talked in the Bible. It's like the Holy spirit just flipped a switch in my heart and I just knew it was going to be okay. So we met our team, flew literally to Siberia, spent two weeks in Siberia, going around, went into maximum uh, security prisons. Think the gulags that you've already always heard about in terms of, you know, uh, Eastern Europe, went into those, ministered. I saw God in a way that I had never seen God before. And one day as we were driving from wherever we were going, because we spent a lot of it, Siberia is big. I mean, you know, <laughs> you see on a map, it's a lot of distances to get to places that we were going. So one day on a bus, we're, we're rolling through some town and I'm looking out the window and I saw buildings and those buildings reminded me of Cuba because it was Soviet construction. So the same Soviet construction that was being done in Siberia was being done in Cuba during that time when the Soviet Union was basically supporting Cuba. And the Lord spoke to me. And not in the audible voice, but in the way that, that if the, you've ever known that the Lord just implanted an idea. He said, you may never come back here to Russia, but you will go to Cuba. So I went home and I told Alfie, I said, the Lord spoke to me. So we need to go to Cuba and we need to take the kids. And he was like in shock, which really, I was like, yes, he clearly spoke to me. And he said, I have been praying all these years that the Lord would soften your heart toward this. And so we waited just a couple of more years until my youngest kids were, we felt old enough to really be able to kind of handle going and participating um, in, and they were, they were, I guess, 12 at that time. Uh, and so in 2014, we went during the summer, took our kids and uh, went to participate in BBS with, um, with Carlos and the church and everything that was there. So my second time was very different. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's fantastic. So, you know, I, I typically ask people 
you know, what surprised you about Cuba? Obviously, there's a huge contrast uh, between what you saw the first time and the second time. And obviously, God called you to go again. So when when you were there uh, the second time, was there anything that surprised you um, that you saw? I, I was, you know, I, I was surprised. Well, lots of things that I saw that were different. First of all, the first time I was there, I was only in Havana. And, you know, Havana is even though a city in ruins, it's a cosmopolitan, big city, just, you know, it's, it's an urban environment. I never really went outside of that to see what I would say the real Cuba is. Not that that's not real, but to see the rural part of Cuba. Uh, and so when I went the second time, we were in Cespedes, flew into Camagüey, again, a, a bigger city, not as big as Havana, but a, a bigger developed city. And then, and then we spent the vast majority of our time in Cespedes, um, where, which is the headquarters of um, the proclaimed ministry there. And so I saw a totally different um, world in Cuba. And if I thought that they were that there was oppression <laughs> and lack when I went in 1999 in Havana, wow, what I saw in Cespedes was even more just in fact of the living conditions. Hmm. Um, but what I also saw, and it's not that I didn't expect it, but it was such a a welcome feeling is, you know, when I went the first time, I wasn't going on a, a mission trip and we didn't spend any time around any believers. Um, I was immersed in that, of course, the second time. And to see the church in Cuba is, is overwhelming in a very positive way, but in a way that just engulfs you with Christian love. I don't speak Spanish. That hasn't ever mattered one, one iota. And you, I know, you know, this Andrew, cause you've been there enough and you're not fluent. You speak more Spanish than I do, but you're not fluent. Um, it just doesn't matter. The, the, the conversations that I've had through translators have been great, but there are people who are near and dear to my heart who I really have never had a discussion with. Because I don't need to. I've been there with them. I've been beside them. They, they know my heart. I know their heart. All I have to do is exchange the look uh, with them. And we know that we are connected by something that is so much greater than culture or, or language. So um, my second time, even though there was still oppression, there was still lack, there's still, Cuba is same in, the same in terms of the politics. Um, but there was a freedom and a joy and an abundance in the spirit that I, that I didn't even have. If I had seen that the first time, I don't think I would have had the reaction that I had. I know I would not have had the reaction that I had. Right. Well, it's, it's always uh, very fascinating to see how God works differently in different people's lives. And that's why we don't ever want to put him in a box in terms of how he no. works with people. And, you know, my experience was a little different than yours, but at the same time, we ended up at the same place. We saw, we saw that fire in, in their, um, in their walk. We saw the fire of the body of Christ in Cuba. It, uh, is the thing that inspires us to want to continue to come alongside them. They do, ministry and they care for people and uh, like no one that I've ever met before. And so that is the, that is the thing where I know that God has called us to want to tell those stories for other people. We've been so fortunate, Kim, to have your voice uh, help 
sculpt um, everything that we've been trying to communicate um, through words and images and um, and all of the different kinds of media that we have. That's that's our goal is to try to tell those stories so that others might be encouraged, that they might be um, blessed by uh, but what God is doing, and then. Also, maybe even they've been called uh, as well. So, so this year we're trying to communicate. It's a big change for us this year. And I'm going to have you just talk about where you see yourself maybe in these next few years trying to communicate what our 10-year vision plan is. And that involves four pillars uh, of the ministry. And so we'll be communicating those to people. And those those pillars that we kind of landed on were evangelism, discipleship, training, and community support. So um, those are the things that we feel like have been sustaining this ministry for 31 years through. Uh, and And so that was part of the original vision, and now it's expanding to want to place um, these centers in each one of the provinces. And um, so, my question on that is: How do you, how do you see yourself? And again, as part of our team, in in helping to support those those pillars that involves all our ministries, which is why it's kind of nice to have those pillars. But mm-hmm. um, how do you see yourself in, in those? Well, just to clarify for people who, who probably don't know, I, my daughter and I um, do run a digital marketing firm, and we have the very honor and privilege of helping to um, implement Proclaim Cuba's uh, marketing and communications. And, and I stepped into this role after being involved just um, on a volunteer basis for all the years up to that with with the ministry the ministry is vast in what it does um it has multiple outreach divisions if we want to call them that and so to try to communicate all that the ministry does to people here in the united states who don't who've never had who've never been there and never had um that experience the experiential understanding of the ministry has been a bit of a challenge Um, And so I think being able to take the four pillars and to be able to represent what these ministry divisions in their outreach are able to accomplish is going to be great. Because I think when we can begin to, those who are receiving the message, begin to take the work and put it in a category, helps us to understand the overall mission and purpose of what the um, of what the ministry is about, because it is about evangelism, proclaiming the gospel um, to the lost and the hope that can be found in Jesus that you can't find anywhere else. No matter how much money you have or don't have, no matter what your what your circumstances are, um, in discipling. So once somebody has met the Lord. How do we help them in walking and growing closer to him in providing biblical training, which is so crucial um, because it's it's not available like it is here. I know we have a lot of people in the United States who don't believe in God, but if you when you do and if you were to choose to be able to to look and find all kinds of resources, I mean, literally here in Texas, there's a church on every corner. Um, there's, you know, Christian bookstores, there's, if you wanted to know more about the Christian life, it's available everywhere. That is not the way it is 
in Cuba. So to be able to provide not only resources, but then the training that they need is huge. And then last and certainly not the least important because it's actually the way that I think so many people, especially right now in Cuba, are meeting the church in Christ for the first time. And that's through community support, through being able to help um, feed people, to be able to clothe people, to be able to give them medicine. Um, you know, I will never forget, Andrew, it was, um, it was before the pandemic. In fact, it was 20, it was 2019. Um, in October, I think it was, I helped lead a group of women um, leaders from Bentry Bible Fellowship. We were in Camagüey and um, we were loading in our van, getting ready to go somewhere. And I looked out the window. God seems to speak to me, I guess, when I'm looking out windows. But I looked out the window and I saw a mother and her teenage daughter. And the mom was kind of sitting on a, um, on a bench. And the teenage daughter had her was laying back with her head in her mom's lap. And the mother was like just massaging her temples, you know, how it is and speaking and just soothing her. Mm. And I thought to myself as a mother, I know that that mom probably doesn't have access to what, to any medication. And I don't know what her daughter's issue was. I don't know if she had a headache. I don't know if she was a fever. I don't, migraines. I don't know what the issue was, but that's all that mom had literally in order to help alleviate the pain of her daughter and how much we take it for granted that when my children have a headache, anything that ails them, there's a vast quantity of over-the-counter medications that I have in my, in my cabinet. And if I didn't have that, there's a church on every corner. Well, there's two drugstores on every corner here in the United States. Um, what they lack is truly mind-boggling when we think of the fact that, they, that we are in 2023 the capability of having it is not difficult, but the restrictions upon them make it impossible to have. And so our ability to have generous contributors from the United States giving money or, or giving actual physical things, the partnerships that we make with the church organizations that we have, and then with other um, mission organizations like Mission Reagan to get the medical supplies and things that we need. And our the willingness of our teams and our people in Cuba to spend hours upon hours giving these things, devoting their lives to giving these things so that they can meet the needs in order to have an opportunity to truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. And to see and to hear the testimonies of how God has worked through that is truly amazing. Although it shouldn't be amazing to us because it's just a model of what Jesus did himself. Jesus met the physical need in order to get the opportunity to speak into the spiritual need. And so our ability to do that through our community support pillar, um, the Lord is just opening the doors and it's just overflowing and flooding.
you've done a great job of, of talking about those pillars and, and the realities of, of how we are really striving to communicate and also to help them to make those um, a reality all across the island um, through the many churches that we're connected to, through many leaders that we have. Um, it's, it is astounding to see how God is at, at work and moving throughout the island right now, uh, despite yeah, the fact that there are thousands and thousands of people leaving, um, there are the ones that remain. And those are the ones that we, we really want to help support so that they don't feel like they have to leave. Right. right. And our ability to, to establish these centers yeah. where these four pillars can basically be um, sent out from every province would have access to support the churches in their provinces, their home churches uh, with what they need in order to build and support these four pillars of work that's done because transportation is so difficult in Cuba that just because you might have some in Havana and some in Cespedes and some in Santiago de Cuba in the East, what about all the rest in between who it's just a monumental um, experience at logistics just to travel from place to place. Right. Uh, and then you have something like the pandemic and it makes it, it, it made it impossible um, really for that movement. So our ability to go in and be able to build in every province a center where the four pillars can be set, created, and then distributed um, is really going to be a game changer for the ability for the for the ministry in Cuba and our leaders to be able to to more effectively do what they've been doing so well for the last, you know, 31, 32 years. Right. Absolutely. So we know that, that God is at work there. Uh, the people who go um, in his name and go and serve there, uh, it changes you, right? You've, you've shared a, a little bit of how God changed you beforehand, how he used you and what you saw when you went to Cuba and when you really saw Cuba, uh, maybe for the first time in, in a different light and, um, and how you were changed. So my next question is about how, how are you different today as a result of your experiences and serving in Cuba, what, what happens in your daily life? When we go, we go for a short period of time, maybe a week or so, but what do we, what do we bring back and how has God changed that so that you're, you're different today as a result of, of serving there? When I go to Cuba, I go with the expectation that that's where I'm going to hear God. And, and really, to be honest, you hear God in the clearest way that I hear him um, because I don't know if it's because I am more vulnerable to the spirit and to hearing him when he's there. Um, I, I do believe it's because his presence is just so concentrated in Cuba because of the church and because of the believers who who are not distracted, they could be distracted. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not because they don't have things. They're not distracted. Their misery, honestly, could be a, a huge distraction, but they're not. They seek him. And so I will say over, over the years that I've gone, what I come back with is that I've really had a chance to commune with the Lord and that he has shown me things about me, good and bad, um, but more on the good side in terms of purpose. 
when, you know, uh, here in the American culture, we, we get so caught up, or at least I do, in listening to what other people think and what, what should I achieve and what can I do? And, you know, my educational background doesn't match up to somebody else's. I don't have this. I don't have that in terms of what I would say would be my ability to accomplish something. When I go to Cuba, if, if you can breathe, <laughs> and you have the ability and, and, and you see that, that what I in my own mind limits me here in the United States, there are no limitations there. And when the, and when the Cuban believers that pour into me when I'm there, encouraging me um, that if God has called me and if he's telling me to do it, there's a way to do it. Uh, and so, you know, when, when I went in 2014, sitting uh, around a table, just in a time of fellowship after we had done VBS, Pastor Carlos's um, wife, Soledad, who has since passed, looked across the table and through Alfie, who was translating for us, said to me, and I had met Soledad when I went, so I had really no other, no other contact with her. She didn't know me. I didn't really know her is what I'm trying to say. She looked across the table and said, you're going to help start a women's ministry. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. Yes. I'm going to help start women's ministry. Well, guess what? Again, after my wrestling with the Lord for about four years, I helped to start a ministry. Did I do it? No, the Lord was in the midst of it, but he used me in ways that I would have said, I was not capable of being used to help put into place and shepherd a women's ministry that now is so active and brings such joy and hope to so many people, uh, so many women in, in Cuba, that it amazes me that the Lord graciously gave that opportunity to me. I don't know where it was. I was reading something recently, or maybe I watched a video somewhere. I came across this idea and, and, and I'm reminded of it now. The Lord is going to do his work regardless of my participation in it or not. If I choose not to participate where God calls me, I'm not limiting God, but what I'm limiting is my ability to be blessed and to be used by him. That women's ministry would have been birthed and it would be vibrant and running right now had I had, whether or not I participated in it, but I have had the joy and the blessing of being able to be a part of it. And I'm so glad I didn't miss out on that. Yeah. So what I tell people all the time, if you're like me and God will use whatever he needs to use to prompt us to take us wherever he needs to take us. But if you're like me and you think I don't speak Spanish, I know nothing about the Cuban culture and missions are not my thing. Cause that's what I told God. I've told God a lot of things. Missions are not my thing. At that time, I was um, teaching in a Christian school. I was leading a Bible study at church. And I told God, that's my service to, to the kingdom. So I don't need to do missions because that's just not my thing. And, and, and that's okay because I'm serving you in this way. It's not our place to tell God how we're going to serve. I've learned that. And Cuba has taught me that. It's not my place to tell God where I'm going to serve. I may very well be doing all of those things that I was doing before, but my place to serve is wherever God calls me. 
And so if God is calling you to Cuba or Africa or Guatemala or China or wherever God is calling you, listen and be willing to be obedient because God's going to do the work in Guatemala, in China, in wherever it is that he's calling you to go. It will be done without you, but you're going to miss out. And you don't want to miss out on that. The, the, the joy, the life, the purpose, the goodness, the friendships, the everything that I receive, I can't imagine my life without it. He's given me a family in Cuba that yeah. I would have whether I had any connection to a Cuban in my own life or not. And my gosh, I can't imagine what my life would be like without that family. I can relate very much to that, very much to that. I, the verse that comes to mind is, is my, one of my very important verses from, from Jeremiah 33.3. It says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you did not know. And you miss out on some of that when you, when you don't allow God to take you to places that he designed you to, to be in. And so um, you said that so very well, Kim, about just there, there's great need everywhere, right? So find out where it is that God wants you to serve and then be willing to go. It can be a very scary prayer to, to say, Lord, here I am, send me. Um, but when you do, when you are willing to take that step of faith, when you're willing to, to go and to serve for a specific period of time, it's it's nothing like any, anything else in your walk. It's a specific dedicated time in which God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through you and in you as you take steps closer to me and towards other individuals and seeing how much I value them. You become more aware of how much they are valued and therefore they become more valuable to you as well. And so uh, if it matters to God, it matters to us uh, as followers. Yes. Yeah. So um, let's sum up about how we encourage others to go and serve and, and why you choose to promote Proclaim Cuba as a, a mechanism, as a mechanism. I don't ever want to make it seem like it's the mechanism that God can use to encourage others to go and serve, but, but let's just sum up why you choose to, to support Proclaim Cuba and, uh, and encourage others to serve. I mean, as you know, I, I help edit and produce this podcast. So I hear every single episode. <laughs> and there is a resounding theme when you ask this question to people. And I I'm going to echo it. Why I would say, if you feel led to support this ministry, whether that be financially, through your prayers, and all of those are important, but even more importantly, if you choose to go, is that you can trust that what you give to this ministry will be used by God's people and for, for God's people. This, this ministry is trustworthy to steward your gifts with. Um, this ministry um, respects and appreciates what it receives and uses it to the best of its ability to maximize what, what they have been called by God to do with it. And so, um, 
you know, there's just so many countless times that I have seen the generosity of the Cubans with what has been given. I want to give an example of that. We have a lot of leaders who are as needy as the people that they're serving. And when I see that they have first access to the tangible things that we take over there, they have first access to the funds that are given to pay their salaries to do the work. And when I see how sacrificially they give of what they could so easily take for themselves and rightfully say, I've earned it, I am amazed. I am truly amazed at the sacrifice of the leaders themselves um, in Cuba. And that is modeled from the top down, from Carlos Alamino Sr. down to the person who helps, um, honestly, clean the restrooms in, in the church when we go to VBS. They go above and beyond sacrificially to give so much more than they receive. And so how can I then do any less? Because uh, honestly, in, in the week that I may go spend in, in the percentage of my income that I may give, I'm, I'm not truly sacrificing when I put it against what they do. And so um, is it worthy? Is it a worthy place to entrust your gifts, whatever they may be? Absolutely. It is. It's very, very true. So uh, Kim, Kim, thank you. If, if you do want to um, support us, uh, please visit our website. We have proclaimcuba.org. And uh, under our, our give section, you can always make donations there. We do have also other ways, uh, other events. Uh, we do have two major fundraisers during the year. One is our golf tournament coming up on June the 6th. That's a Tuesday. We'd love for you to come out. We have opportunities to be able to play in the tournament. Um, or you can also sponsor. Uh, there's several sponsorship opportunities. And if you wanted to do that, you go to proclaimcuba.org front slash sponsorship. And that will take you to the golf sponsorship page. Um, we would appreciate your support as always. Kim, again, we can't do what we do without you guys. We're so grateful to you and the Ezer team um, for, uh, for what you do for us, for serving all of our uh, supporters, all of the people who care about Cuba um, so well by being able to communicate the stories. Um, I give God praise for, for just him working uh, in both of our lives uh, to give us uh, meaning and purpose. You know, God said that I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Part of that abundant life is uh, a life that's filled with meaning and purpose. And uh, I think both of us have, have found that. And, um, and we're grateful for that in our lives. I'm grateful for you and being able to work with you and appreciate just everything that you bring to the table for us. So thank you, Andrew. I'm not going to take 10 seconds at the end of this to give a little plug for the podcast and for people to come on and share their stories. The whole reason we do this is so that people can share their stories um, because that's what being a witness is. And we're called to be a witness of what we've seen and how we've seen God work. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've been with us to Cuba, please contact Andrew and, and, and share your story with him. Or you've, You've in any way, not even if you didn't go to, uh, to Cuba, but this ministry has made an impact in your life. We would love for you to share your story. I can say now, experientially, it doesn't hurt to be interviewed. Um, uh, it's really an easy process. And who knows 
who can be touched by the story that only you can tell because it's the story of how God has used you. So um, consider that. Thanks, Andrew. Absolutely. You bet, Kim. So um, until next time, God bless. Thank you for joining us on Mission Today. If you would like to know more about Proclaim Cuba or hear other stories like this, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Proclaim Cuba.